Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Jaffa Falston area north of Baltimore, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. If you're nearby on a Sunday, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. We are in Acts chapter 16 today. We are going to finish up our little vacation in baptisms. And then we are back to Revelation next week, and you all are in for a treat. Today's story, Acts chapter 16, is such a marvelous section of Scripture for for many reasons. Uh, We see in it so clearly the sovereignty of God, the the power of God, uh, the maturity of sanctification in the life of the church, conversion, baptism, family life, leadership, family instructions. If anyone's ever seen the movie, The Princess Bride, you remember when he comes and visits his boy and he goes, I want to read you a story. He goes, Princess Bride. And he goes, it's a story of mystery and violence and war and strife. And this is the book of Acts. Um, there's so much meat there. Uh, and so I'm tremendously honored and excited to, to wrap up this story for us here. So uh, our text is going to pick up at verse 26, but we're going to get a running start at verse 16, because there's this beautiful thing when we're reading the Bible called context. Uh, and if you're not aware of it, you can say, make up whatever you want and fit wherever you want. So we need to know what today's text is saying. Um, Acts 16, starting verse 16. <clears throat> As we were going to the place of prayer, this is Paul and Silas, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination in the Greek that is python. She had a python spirit. That's terrifying. And brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul uh, Paul and Cyrus, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed again, I love that apostles get annoyed, uh, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And not interesting, it's the, it's the Christ that commands the demons. It's the Messiah that so it's almost as if everything God said in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ and in his name, flee. <laughs> and whoa, that thing left. <clears throat> and it came out that very hour, verse 19, but her, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd then joined in attacking them. If anyone caught last Monday's Bible study, there's no better way to persecute people than to make them others. Here they are foreigners and strangers and others. Uh, And then the crowd hops in in beating them, literally. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them. 
and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so Paul and Silas are beat up, placed in prison, and are in wooden stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. New Territory 26. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, you may be able to explain the doors coming loose if the jail is shaking, but for stocks and bonds to be undone, that's a miracle. Verse 27, when the jailer awoke awoke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. There are four things I got to talk about before we move on. First... The jailer was asleep, (laughs) probably because the jail, for the first time ever, was not rowdy that night. For the first time, probably ever, there was total peace in that prison as everyone's listening to Paul and Silas pray and sing. So the guard goes, I'll take a slow night, and he kicks back and nods off. Secondly, as he's asleep, there's an earthquake. That's a heck of an alarm clock. And it's helpful to remember that at Mount Sinai, earthquakes represented the presence of God. So though it's not that every earthquake, it's not like if if there's an earthquake, we go, God's here to do something. But it it certainly does mean it here, that, that God's presence has arrived. So this is no natural phenomenon. God is shaking this jail. <laughs> Thirdly, after the earthquake, the jailer woke up. He saw that the doors were open and believed everyone, all the prisoners had fled. Now, the reason he must think this, because when you first read, you go, why didn't he look in one of the prison doors? <laughs> And the, and, and the reason he must think that the jail is empty is because, well, for one, it's dark, but the jail must be quiet. Quiet, quiet. And if you think about it, if a jail today were to have an earthquake and all the cell doors popped open, do you think it would be quiet or loud? <laughs> there would be riots. There would be weapons forged, guards beat up. But here in this jail, as we will see in a moment, all the prisoners have been freed but are dead quiet in their cells. The reason is that the earthquake in verse 26 is the result of the prayers in verse 25. As Paul and Silas are praying and singing, maybe God, you should break us out. (laughs) And it says the prisoners are listening. And then what does it say? And then suddenly, how is an earthquake suddenly? Aren't they all suddenly? It must be suddenly in response to something they've been saying. And this is when the prison shakes and, and then the, 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 the bonds are broken from off of these prisoners' feet. And, and when that earthquake hit, I have zero doubts that the prisoners were confused. 
I believe they knew exactly what was happening. These two men, Paul and Silas, had the, he- had the ear of God himself. And so the prison shook, the bonds were broken at their word. They're now waiting to see what else Paul and Silas are going to say. The earthquake begins because the prisoner begins with the prisoners listening, and the earthquake ends with the prisoners listening. That they know these men are different and wait to hear on how to proceed. If Paul and Silas stay in their cell, apparently, so will they. If Paul and Silas say, let's get out of here, Muggsy, you know, and they run out, and everyone's getting out, they're going to run too. Paul and Silas are quiet, they're quiet. Fourthly, the jailer in this dark, lightless prison assumes all the prisoners have fled because it's quiet, quiet. And so the jailer draws his sword to kill himself because the penalty for allowing prisoners to escape was death. So this man has to make a calculated decision. Does he want to be executed for sleeping on the job? Or does he want to stab himself with a sword to make it look like he was overrun and dies a hero? And we know his family lives in this town. So his family will be the widow, his wife will be the widow of a hero or the widow of a coward, of a, a lawless man, of a, of a lazy man. And so he makes a calculated decision. I will preserve the honor of myself and my family. This seems like the right thing to do. So here we are, the jailer's about to kill himself because he knows he's a dead man either way. <laughs> if they all ran out, he's dead, and if, if there's nothing he can do, he's going to die. Might as well die with honor, he thinks. Then, verse 28, But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. As the guard is crying, saying prayers, making some noise of desperation, Paul yells out and saves his life. Verse 29, and the jailer called for light. So it was clearly dark. It was so dark he couldn't see. And rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Silas and Paul. Paul and Silas. The guard knows this is a miracle. He's filled with fear and reverence. He knows what they were singing. He probably fell asleep to their lullaby. He knows what they're about. And now all of a sudden, there's all these prisoners let loose and they all stay still. He knows this is a miracle. So he's filled with fear and reverence for Paul and Silas. And then I love verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's not talking about his life now, is he? Because his life has already been spared. In fact, he kind of looks great because all the jailers stayed put. They were so afraid of his manhood. You know, he looks like a super jailer. Uh, They didn't even try anything, you know, magistrates. He's talking about his soul. He heard the prayers. He heard the hymns. He felt the earthquake. He sees the miracle of the loose bonds and the prisoners stayed. And he falls down and he wants what they have. He has received their message of the gospel. Verse 31. And they said, I I love it. The verses get better and better to me. I love this one. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved You and your 
household. If you are taking, if you have a pen and you have a paper Bible, underline that because that's awesome. Loved ones, when it comes to the topic of salvation of God, <laughs> there is so many things we could say. You know, when, you ever have someone they open the door to, to talk about Christianity? And then your brain starts going, and, and it's tempting sometimes we, we can get into justification or sanctification or bibliology, angelology, demonology, eschatology, ecclesiology. And we, we can get into all of these high and lofty things, but it says they said, so they're in full agreement here. It's not like Paul has one method and Silas has another. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus. Isn't that great? <laughs> That's their elevator pitch. Believe in the Lord Jesus, then you'll be saved. I have two thoughts on this. First, a Bible verse everyone should have committed to memory, and I'm sure most of you do. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, salvation is had through belief in Jesus, as the reformers may say, solo Christos, it's Christ alone. We don't need to have a strong ecclesiology to have a strong faith. in It's just faith in Jesus alone. And I am so guilty at this at times. But occasionally, believers, we can tend to overcomplicate this message, can't we? You know, you look at how Jesus communicated. He goes, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Believe. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and we are saved when we believe in what he said and, and did. And, and Paul and Silas are showing us the simplicity of the gospel. He's showing us the simplicity of our message. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Period. Not and, dot, dot, dot. No, Period. Perfect. Secondly, Paul and Silas say believe and believe in what? There's more than Jesus there and we have to recognize this. And believe in kurios Iesus, the Lord Jesus. The implications of this would not be lost on a government employee. <laughs> to call Jesus kurios, Lord is to claim that Jesus is the ultimate authority. To say that Jesus is Lord was punishable by death because it's the claim that Caesar is not Lord. So here's Paul and Silas' evangelistic message. Believe in Jesus as the highest authority over your life. Believe in that that Jesus is kurios, the Lord, the supreme ruler, and you will be saved. Allegiance to Jesus over the president. Jesus over political party. Jesus over culture. Jesus over everything. Jesus is kurios, Lord. That's the, that's the gospel message. <laughs> Not Jesus and whatever my think, friends think are cool. It's, it's Jesus over everything. And like I said, us Christians can overcomplicate the gospel. 
and, and get into things we don't need to at first. You know, I, one of the things I find out a lot is so many people are interested that aren't really plugged into the church about the lost books of the Bible. <laughs> what's hidden in those books from us? Do you know what's in those books? Yeah, I do know what's in those books. I've read those books. They're kind of crazy, those books. <laughs> in order to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven, it says in one of the Gnostic Gospels, or one of the, one of the lost books, you have to convert to becoming a man, women. You gotta be, women, you have to become men. It's like, this is not, this is, this is crazy. <laughs> what are they hiding from us? Not biblical Christianity, I can tell you. They're written 200 years after Jesus died. You know, come on. But, you know, when, when you first evangelize, maybe they don't need to know about First Enoch and the Nephilim. You know, maybe that's not where you launch into. So as Christians, you know, we can overcomplicate the gospel. But at the same time, we're in a very shallow culture right now. And it's also true that we can oversimplify the gospel, can't we? Notice that Jesus and Silas are not calling this jailer to believe in some vague, nebulous description of God. What what they are doing is answering this man by telling him to believe and follow Jesus as Lord and really his king. And this is why why we must constantly draw from what I call the biblical Christ. We must be a people that believe and preach of Jesus Christ, but as the Bible describes him. Jesus is a person, not an idea. (laughs) And a person that acts a certain way and is a certain way, that's who they are. And how I feel about a person doesn't change the person. Jesus has revealed his personhood in the scriptures, and we follow the person. Jesus Christ. We have to believe in the biblical Christ as God defines himself. And this is Paul and Silas's message. Jesus loves and saves, but is also a Lord and King. That's the gospel presentation, which is why all the time I talk about, yes, grace, the grace of God is awesome. The mercy of God is awesome, but you have to live it. You can't just say, yep, I believe in Jesus and then go out and get high and be crazy. That's just not that's not Jesus' kurios. That's not what your Lord wants from you. You are in rebellion if that's the case. Now, also notice here, Paul and Silas are speaking to not just a man, but a father and a husband. And what I want you to see here is that the jailer comes to Paul and Silas for salvation. And what do Paul and Silas immediately go to? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. The gospel presentation immediately looked beyond who that man was. They saw that there was a family behind him. We're going to get into that more in a second. Verse 32. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) Can you tell I love doing this? Can you tell? I do. I love the study bit. I love the whole thing. This is a dream job. Until I get a call at two in the morning to help somebody go, this is the worst job in the world. Oh, I haven't even had bacon yet. You know. <laughs> I was talking to a pastor yesterday. This is a total side note. 
And we got into, and they were talking about all these things they were trying to do and manage. And they, they, you know, and I was quiet. I just listened. And then it came to me. And I go, oh, no, I don't worry about any of that. And he's like, what? I go, it's the Lord's church, not mine. And he's like, that's a great point. I go, yeah, I know. Not trying to be God. Verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and, his, and all his family. Isn't that awesome? This jailer, from the timing of this, this has been one hour. This, that hour went, that went up to his house and woke up his whole family and brought them down to the jail to hear the gospel. See how incredible this is? Paul and Silas say that salvation could be for your whole household. And so logically he goes, let me go get my household. And he brings his whole family. Breaks up his mother-in-law. You know, we got to go see these people. Where? In jail. What? Come on, you know. Earthquake bonds, come on. You know, and so they all stumble down at mid one in the morning and hair's weighing down and they all get saved. Uh, and then it says the jailer personally washes Paul and Silas's wounds. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. If you remember, they were beaten with rods and stripped naked. So God knows where these wounds are. You know, this is covered in cuts. Then after the jailer washes Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas then do something even more incredible. They wash the jailer and his whole family. One commentator said that the jailer washed Paul's wounds, but Paul washed the jailer with a greater washing. Paul washed this family into the body of Christ. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? (laughs) And then verse 34, I love verse 34. And you're going to understand immediately why. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. It's not even 1 a.m. yet. We've already had an earthquake. We've almost had a suicide. We've had a, pre- we've had a presentation of the gospel. A family woken up and brought and preached to. A wound washing. A whole family baptism service. And now Paul and Silas are brought up for dinner. This man's life has 180 in one hour. And I love that it says that they rejoiced. Paul and Silas, the jailer, his family, they all rejoiced together. What a picture of the joy that comes with the gospel. And this is the model all through the book of Acts. That Christians should be full of joy because we are saved. We are not to live as if we have no hope. Every time, almost every time Paul is talking about the to a persecuted church, he tells them one of two things. Jesus is coming and you will be in heaven. Do not grieve as if you have no hope. And the reality is every person who receives the gospel is going to heaven. And in the book of Acts, rightly so, they celebrate that fact. And imagine it. Can you imagine? 
You know, in the Greek mythology, you wander around the underworld exhausted all day. You just, uh, you know. And this guy's asleep at the job. He certainly thinks he's one of those people. He's not at Mount Olympus. And then now he, he's received the gospel. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit, him and his whole house. And now they're sitting around the table hearing about God for the first time, really. And they find out they're all going to be in heaven together. Okay? Forever. And so they look at each other. Can you believe this? And they start celebrating and rejoicing, and rightly so. Then verse 35, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. They certainly weren't thrown in in peace, were they? But they're told to, all right, leave quietly now. You notice abusers do that and They will brutalize you to death, and then you better be quiet about this. (laughs) Evil. The magistrates of Philippi thought a good beating and a night in jail would dissuade Paul and Silas from continuing their mission to Philippi. Oh, they were wrong. (laughs) But upon being released from jail, that they would have to leave quietly. But there's a grand twist in the story. This is one of the great reversals of scripture. Paul and Silas essentially go, no, we're not leaving. We kind of like it in jail. He reveals a secret that Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. And let me tell you, in this culture, you could not mistreat Roman citizens without severe consequences. So they have been stripped and beaten Not just a man unjustly, but a Roman citizen unjustly. When Rome hears about this, the hammer's coming. So, verse 37 describes it. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The politicians sent the police to do their dirty work. Surprise, surprise. And Paul drops a bombshell statement on them. Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. Uh Uh-oh. This would be devastating news to the magistrate because that big fancy job title of magistrate, they they got the nameplate sitting on their desk, assistant magistrate, real big magistrate, chief magistrate, All of it's gone. They are going to be in so much trouble. And so Paul says, no, don't let the police do your duty work, dirty work. You come tell me. So now all the politicians have to come hum on down to the jail. Verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And that's today's story. We have five things I have to share with you. And it was a lot more, but we whittled it down to five. First, the word. We have to see that when the gospel was presented to a husband and a father, it was also presented to his family. Here's what we need to gather from this. 
according to God, God made men as men, boy to be, boys to become men. And men are to, with zeal and haste, are to lead their families to the word of God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, because in our culture, we're so backwards, I can't address that without maybe mothers going, well, I'm important too. Well, of course you're important too. There's also a similar commission here for women too. But here the, the emphasis is on men. If you, and if you read just a few verses earlier in Acts 16, God used Lydia to reach her household to be baptized. But it's also very clear in Scripture, and we need to see this because our culture is fighting against this. And tragically, most pastors won't say it. But in examples like Ephesians 5.26, men are called to lead their families in and by and to the Word of God. So, so a, a word to you fathers... When your kid stands before God Almighty on Judgment Day, and they're going to, God is not going to ask them how to change a tire, how to throw a perfect spiral, see a diploma, or any earthly thing. Your child is going to stand before God Almighty on Judgment Day and will either live or perish upon one thing. They needed to believe and have followed Jesus as Lord. And it was your job as their father to lead them in the way. It's your job. This is not the school's job. It is not Sunday school's job. It is your job to lead your families. God blesses husbands with children to lead their families in righteousness. And again, mothers have a different but a similar commission, of course. But in today's story and many others, the husband and the father is to lead his house in this. Now, secondly... Once the gospel was accepted by the house, the father first and then the mother led the children to be baptized. Now, a lot of Presbyterians like to point to this passage as a reason to baptize babies. (laughs) But, But what is clear to me in this passage is that children in verse 34, it says, believed. I don't know any one year old that can believe. They were old enough to receive the gospel. And here's a call on parents. Of course your kids need to see you get baptized if you haven't been baptized yet. You don't need to get re-baptized just so your kids can see it. Don't manipulate them. But a parent is to encourage their children's baptism. When they are old enough to believe in Jesus as Lord and have a genuine faith in God, parents are to lead and encourage their children to take that step and get baptized. Baptized. Thirdly, after baptism, notice the believers shared a meal. I love that verse. (laughs) They had fellowship. If today's text is showing you anything, it's just how non-individualistic the Christian life is. You know, there's nothing wrong. Have you heard someone say baptism is an outward sign of what God has done inwardly? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if that's where the conversation of baptism ends, that is a grand tragedy because it makes it so individualistic. 
We are baptized and, and incorporated into one body, not yours, the body of Christ. It's really a corporate action. You are not saying this is who I am in my personal faith, which is true. What you're saying even more loudly is I am now in this. I am done with me as self, and I am now plugged into Christ as Lord. And that is of one body and many members. And notice that the word here is given in pairs. It is received by families. It's baptized in numbers. It's celebrated in corporate meals. If you read verse 34, the jailer led his family in hospitality. He brought Paul and Silas into his home and set food before them. In a way, he's becoming a type of Abraham in Genesis. This is incredible. And then fourthly, the story of the jailer ends with great joy. The gospel, as the angels proclaimed in, at, at Jesus' birth announcement, is the great news, the good news of great joy. That's the gospel. That's how it was introduced to the world. This is good news of great joy. And there is great joy when the Christian lives a godly life in light of the gospel. And a family that pursues righteousness. In a godly household, husbands love their wives. And wives respect their husbands. And children are seeking to do and be good. And conversation is holy and not perverse. Have you noticed when you're out and about, so many people can only communicate through negatives? I can't tell you how many people I talk to, and the only thing they can talk about is the bad things that are going on. It's like, can you say anything good? (laughs) This should not be so in the house of the godly. Our speech should be seasoned with salt. As James would say, tamed and controlled. And as we grow in godliness, our speech should be edifying and lifting, not degrading and down. Paul, the brother of Jesus, said, in the last days, evil people will be marked as fault finders, nitpickers. I think we're there. Paul says to Timothy of the end times that evil people will be unreconcilable. They can only communicate through anger and outrage. They can't be reasoned with. Does that mean that's how the church should look? Of course not. God forbid. A godly family is to pursue another way, the way of Christ, and to fill our homes and our tables and our speech with good news of great joy. And here, parents are to lead their families in this. And the husband's to lead his wife in this. To wash his wife in the water of the word. To bring joy to his table. And our fifth and final point. What a picture of the gospel this story is. This story of the jailer began with a suicide attempt. And ended in verse 34 with him at a table. With his whole family rejoicing. Or agaliaho. This word means to be exceedingly glad. His whole table was exceedingly glad. His story begins with a suicide attempt and ends with him and his house brimming in joy and rejoicing. And I'm telling you, Jesus can do this with you. There are so many people that have felt so bad for so long, they think this is just the way it's got to be for me. And that is not true. Jesus can pull you out of the inner prison 
of your heart and mind. I'm telling you now and fill you with joy. <laughs> Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized. Get plugged into the church and watch what he does. Now in today's story, this is the joy that salvation and repentance and baptism in Jesus Christ brings. And there are also resurrection and ascension themes here. I want you to think about the apostles in this story. They are dragged into the inner prison. They are stored in the stone earth. And at midnight, an earthquake came and breaks their bindings and opens the door. There are clear connections here to Jesus' resurrection. And if we, like this jailer, would fall on our faces before the resurrected Christ and cry, what must I do to be saved? Our fears would turn into joy and our mourning into dancing. Loved ones, <laughs> let me tell you a little story. My grandmother, one of the sweetest women ever. She grew up Catholic because, you know, Baltimore. And one year she gave my family... A crucifixion because, well, the Planholts are religious, you know, and they gave my family a crucifixion and Jesus was on the cross, which means it was a Catholic crucifix. And I loved it because I loved Jesus and, you know, he was European, but that worked for me. So I, you know, whatever. And I, and I put him on a hook on the wall and my mom saw it and, and she goes, or my dad, one of them, and go, what? <laughs> Did you put that up there? They thought maybe some Catholic was like, maybe this will work, you know? And, and I said, yeah, I put it up there. And they said something to me I'll never forget. They said, our Jesus got off the cross. We have to remember, we don't just worship a crucified Lord. We worship the risen Lord. He conquered death. He's the conquering kurios. Jesus is Lord over death. That's why we rejoice. Not because Jesus died, but because he rose again. The tomb couldn't keep him. And in faith, it can't keep us either. And this is one of the reasons why we get baptized. So when I hold you under that water, and you see Jesus, I hold you under that water. When I bring you out, you've resurrected with Christ. And that's when, we don't clap when you're under the water, we clap when you get out of the water. <laughs> because you've resurrected. Amen. The story of this jailer is the story of all believers. That apart from Christ, we are dead men. We are spiritually dead and heading for judgment. But if we would believe in, in the Lord Jesus, if we would live in the reality of this truth that Jesus is, curry us, Lord, the Almighty, the God Most High, we too, like in today's story, will ascend. We'll ascend and be brought up to a heavenly feast, to an eternal feast with God himself. Through faith in the risen Lord Jesus, our story too ends where? In the house of the Lord forever, all the days of our lives. And we will feast, loved ones. We will feast and be exceedingly glad forever. This is what the risen Lord has provided. He takes us from captivity 
to Satan and sin and self and misery and breaks our bonds. He brings us out of the dungeon and notice that first the dungeon had to be lit. The Holy Spirit comes in and guides you out and leads us out of that inner prison and gets us baptized and washes our wounds. And from baptism, one day we will ascend to share a meal with God Almighty himself, rejoicing forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we, we love you. We, we thank you. We praise you. We ask that you would be most pleased in what you see here today. This is, not, this is not us being religious and trying to score heavenly brownie points. God, we, we are doing this because your Bible has declared it. Your word has declared it. And God, we do not just desire to be saved. We desire for our households to be saved. We, we desire to, to not only be in the kingdom of God. We belong to be with a people in the kingdom of God. Help us to understand just how non-individual this is. And God, we, we ask for those of us in here that do not know Jesus as Kurios, that, that today would be the day of their salvation. Yes. That they would come to Christ and be washed clean by the water of the word. And that from this day forward, they would live as Jesus as their highest authority. And they would derive these truths, this direction, these commands from the word of God. And your word is truth. God, we pray for those here that are getting baptized, that they would remember this day with absolute clarity. So that whatever fiery darts may come, no matter what storms or gales may beat against that house, it shall not fail. They may remember that they have been washed and made one into the family of God. God, for those of us that are watching these baptisms today, let us be so encouraged and edified. And God, let us also be baptized through your Holy Spirit and be so fired up and united to see the gospel advance. But let that come from exceeding joy. Fill us with a joy that surpasses all understanding of, and of course, a peace too. So God... We pray, we pray for the church here. We, we pray for a wonderful service. God, we pray that if anyone needs special prayer, that they may go to their prayer team off to the side. God, please move today mightily and bless our time from end to end and send us out with a fresh, fresh anointing. We do pray. And in Jesus' name, all who agreed said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. Please keep in touch. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.